Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. I'm going to begin reading. I know we went a little bit longer than we normally do. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Verses 1 through 14. And it says this, Now the boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli. Eli was the priest in those days. Eli, excuse me, Samuel was the protege. He was the young boy who was being raised up underneath a priest who would eventually take over the priestlyhood. Does everybody follow him? Okay. So Samuel, this this is key. Now the boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord. Everybody say ministered. I've often heard of us being ministered of by the Lord, ministered to by the Lord, but you rarely hear in the scriptures where someone actually ministered to God. That's a, that's a key point there. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. In other words, God wasn't speaking very much. And there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass that at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, And when his eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle, in other words, in the church or the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here am I. Everybody say, here am I. And so he ran to Eli and said, here am I, for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down again. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And so he arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli, the priest, said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you again, that you may say, Speak, Lord. Somebody say, Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak. For your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears will tingle. In that day I will perform Eli against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not. Restrain them, and therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for sacrifice or offering forever. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. In other words, God wasn't speaking very much in the days of Samuel and Eli, meaning the word of God was scarce. There were prophets and there were priests, but there was a problem. To me, there's no surprise that God wasn't speaking to Eli 
Eli was a good man, and he was a holy man. Everybody say he was holy. He was holy. However, God was grieved by Eli because Eli turned a blind eye towards his sons who were doing wrong in the temple. They were stealing from the offerings. They were bringing women into the temple. And therefore, because of Eli's tolerance of his son's sins, God began to raise up Samuel underneath Eli. Hearing God for me is perhaps the most important tools in an individual's lives. I wish somebody would say amen to that. Because without hearing God's voice, you are left to fend for yourselves and simply hope that your own decisions and your own wisdom lead you to the great, your great possible or the greatest possible outcome for your own life. You're live, you're, you, are, you are there to fend for yourself, to make your own decisions, to, to trust in yourself, which is a dangerous place. But can I tell you that there is a better way to live life? There's a better way to conduct yourself. Everybody say there's a better way. A way, believe it or not, that you can actually hear him and have a relationship in such a way that he gives you direction through this, through this inner voice by the Holy Spirit into your heart and spirit, man. Somebody say there's a better way. There's a place that you can come to where you receive his direction. I call it divine direction. The Bible says that the word of God establishes your steps. That means every decision, you can live in such a place where every decision you know that you make is God's will for your life. You guys are looking at me straight-faced, but there is a place that the believer can come to where they understand that my steps are ordered by the Lord. This decision is from the Lord. You don't have to live a life guessing as to whether or not you're in the pinnacle of God's will for your life. This is good news. So I, today I want to minister from a subject called, listen up. Look at somebody and say, listen up. I want to draw your attention to a few points that I want to make this morning that will either inspire or possibly highlight some areas that may diminish your ability to be able to hear God's voice. I meet with more and more people, and I'm not talking about unbelievers, I am shocked at the amount of believers who don't hear God's voice. I'm not talking about God coming out of the cloud and speaking to you, but I'm talking about this inner working in your spirit, man, to when you're making a decision, you have this peace that the Bible calls peace that passes understanding. In other words, you won't even understand why you have the peace that you have. You won't understand the joy that you have knowing that this decision that I make is from God. And listen, let me tell you something. When God speaks to you and you make a certain decision and, and things don't end up or, or, or begin to unfold in the way that you want to, doesn't mean you didn't hear the Lord. And this is where we get fooled in Christendom. We obey God. We do something. We start a business. We get married to someone. We, 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 we start going to a church or we establish a church or whatever it might be. And then everything doesn't go our way. And then we're tempted to think just because things aren't going our way, we didn't hear the Lord. Oh, y'all ain't son saying nothing in the church this morning. How many have ever made a decision in a certain area and then you think you missed it? The problem is, is you have to be careful when you make a decision to do something, to become a part of an organization, become married to someone, and things don't go the way that you think they should go. 
If you're not careful, you will abort that thing early. Not knowing that God did tell you to do that thing. He did tell you to step out and go in that direction. And he's using the difficulty of that thing to get you ready for the weight of the blessing that it's going to end up being in your life. The first point I want to make is we want to draw from the principles of scripture that Samuel did in order to get to hear God's voice. Look at somebody and say, listen up. He gave God attention. That's another word for ministry. Remember we highlighted that? I had you repeat. He ministered to the Lord. Look, look, look at verse 1 there. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord. Everybody say ministered. He ministered to the Lord before Eli. Everybody say he ministered. That, that, that word ministered means to give attention to. Yeah. Strategic attention, strategic focus. I looked it up just in the Webster because I didn't want to sound super spiritual. It simply means to help or care for something. Well, see, we get, always get it wrong. We come in here oftentimes in the church and we're coming here to be ministered to and cared for by the Lord. Not knowing that when you walk through those doors is an opportunity not just for you to be ministered to, but for him to be ministered to. Y'all ain't saying nothing in the house of the Lord. The Lord was speaking to Samuel because he understood a principle. I will get ministered to if I first minister to him. If I first shift my focus off of myself and onto him and minister to him, I will then hear his voice. Because God will give attention to you when you first give attention to him. But oftentimes we want to get his attention before we give him ours. Y'all ain't saying nothing in the house. Watchman Nee. Listen to what Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee. How many have ever heard of Watchman Nee? Very powerful. He was a prolific Christian author who had a fruitful ministry in China in the early 20th century before being in prison. And he wrote this. Let us note that on the onset that there, are, there is little apparent difference these days between ministry and the house of the Lord. And ministry, oh, excuse me, there is little apparent difference between ministry to the house of the Lord and ministry to the Lord himself. Watch what he goes on to say. To minister to the Lord is worshiping him alone in all that you do. So in essence, any ministry that is directed towards others without first being directed towards God is idolatry. There is a passage in Ezekiel 44 that describes the two types of Levites, meaning those who worshiped in the Lord. They worshiped actually with their instruments and worshiped through, um, through, through different sacrifices and through different things they would do in the, in the temple. He said, those who were in charge of taking care of the Jewish temple, that was the Levites, where the worship took place. Watch this. One group was ministering to the temple. In other words, they were going through the motions getting tables set up, making sure the chairs were right, making sure the lights were on, ministering to people. Now watch this. So one group was ministering in the temple and they were upholding the religious practices while worshiping idols in their hearts. Watch this. The other group was ministering directly to the Lord, honoring him as holy and obeying them, obeying him, excuse me, with their whole hearts. I have seen churches do extremely well at ministering to the needs of people. And at least most churches that I've seen do that well. But they have no prayer ministry. They're ministering to people, but they don't even pray about who they should be ministering to. 
We have all these activities. We have all these things that we do and that we deem doing well. At the, and we're giving attention to people all the while missing giving our attention to the one who deserves our attention, meaning God. And we wonder why the word of the Lord is so scarce these days. We wonder why God has been limited in, in, in speaking to us clearly and moving in our churches and moving in our meetings. I'm not talking about moving on our hearts a little bit. I'm talking about moving like he did in times past. I'm talking about when you walk inside of a sanctuary, it wasn't a fog machine, but the fog was there. Y'all ain't saying nothing in the house of the Lord. The lights weren't from the cameras, but the light was there. I'm talking about God supernaturally moving among us. Do you know why? Because we've been giving so much attention to things and activities, but not giving attention to the one who means everything. Somebody say, give attention to the Lord. I was talking with my good friend, Matt Gilman and Keegan Fowler. This was about a year or more ago. We were talking in the green room. This was back at our other building. And we sat down as a team. And we started thinking about the lyrics that we had been, well, they had been singing about. I sang along with them. I was in the front row. And we were getting really honest about the lyrics that we were singing. Now, I believe in all Christian music is, is edifying to a degree, but there are, there are certain lyrics that move the heart of God, and there are other lyrics that move the heart of man. And there is a difference. And as we talked about the lyrics that we were portraying from the pulpit, we were asking ourselves, why is God not moving in our services? Man was being moved, but we could sense and feel that God wasn't moving. It's a sad thing when we show up to church and worship at a place where God is not moving. And so we looked at these lyrics and we were thinking about them. And every single lyric had God or Jesus in them, but it was all about what God could do for us. And it was nothing about him being high and lifted up. It was nothing about how awesome you are, God, how worthy you are to be adored. There was nothing menace, nothing of essence. There's no content that would depict us worshiping him. It was all about, I'm here so you can do something for me. And it all sounds good. And there are times for that because we all have needs. There are needs represented in this room. Some of you need peace. Some of you need a miracle in your marriage. Somebody needs uh, some resolution in your friendships or whatever it might be. There's needs in this place financially. There's somebody in this room who is devoid of direction in their life and they don't know if they're in the middle of God's will. There are always needs, but here's what I found out about the Lord and how I can get God to answer me and without being manipulative. First meet his need, then he meets my need. We first meet his need to be worshiped and be loved and to adore him and esteem him and put our attention and our focus on him. And by default, because of our proximity to him, he moves on our behalf. All he has to be is in the room. You don't even have to ask once he's there. Because once he's in the room, he begins to move. And he can see your need. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about it. It talks about, hey, don't pray like this. Pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He knows your needs. It actually goes on to say, don't pray like that. Your heavenly father knows what you have need of. 
So the whole premise of what I'm trying to communicate is if we first give our attention to him, he gives attention to us and begins to move on our behalf. And this is exactly what Samuel got. He learned first and foremost, I will minister to the Lord. And then in turn, he will minister to me. Look at somebody and say, give attention. To say the least, we change the type of lyrics that we begin to sing. And so more times than not, it wasn't about what God could do for us. It was about what we could do for him. I had somebody meet with me not that long ago from um, another continent. And he came into the office. And he said, I heard the way that you guys were praying. And he said, you keep asking for revival in your church. He said, why don't you try praying revival for the nation? In other words, he was exposing my selfishness for God to do something here all the while. God's mind is not just here. God's mind is for every church, every organization, every family, every marriage, every people group. His mind is around the globe. So as I begin to pray that God would do something in the churches around the world, instead of specifying this organization, because God's mind is much bigger than that. God began to move in my heart and to change me. And the atmosphere has begun to change. So as we focus and we give attention to him, he will give attention to us. And so it says that the Lord, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. I wonder if the word of the Lord is rare in yours. And, and I wonder if the reason is, is because we haven't been giving attention to him. I wonder if it's because we haven't been ministering to him. I wonder if it's because we haven't been giving time to him. I wonder if it's because we haven't sat in the quiet place with him. And so all the while going through the motions, going to work and running the kids to school and going through the motions, going, having fun on the way and all that, all those things are great. But, but, I, but I wonder if we're asking him to do something and asking him to speak, but yet not giving him the time of day to speak in our lives. Look at somebody and say, carve out time. The second thing that Samuel did and this is the most difficult one, I think, for me, because it's rare for me to be able to carve out time for the Lord. And that was, he was simply alone. He got alone. We don't hear this kind of preaching anymore. We hear self-help. We hear if you do X, Y, Z. We hear if you do one, two, three, you're going to produce X, Y, Z. But the truth of the matter is, there are some things that only God can do in your life. And there is no amount of formulated things that you can place in your life. You will not get to the finish line unless you spend time with him. That business won't be born without him. That marriage won't last without him. Those finances won't change, come on, until you get time with him. Because God knows that when you give him the focus, he can easily provide the miracle. But the miracle of it all that he wants you to see is the importance of spending alone time with him. Come on, somebody say alone. Now look at what that verse says in th verse three through four. I don't know if you can put it up on the, on the screen. It says, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. He was lying down. What does that mean? 
That means when he was lying down, and I'm not against Facebook. I'm not against Twitter. I'm not even against Instagram. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against any social media outlets because anything can be used for both good and evil. But if the last thing that you do before your eyelids shut is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I wonder if you're even giving him the time of day. Do I give him the time of day? I've been asking my, myself that question because my life is so busy. And I'm asking him, Lord, speak to your servant. Speak to me, Lord. I need your direction in this specific area of my life. But yet I'm not carving out any alone time. It says Samuel was lying down and then he spoke. Samuel. Samuel was alone. And many times God doesn't do certain things in your life or speak in your life until you are alone. So it's not a question whether or not is God speaking to me? Is God giving me this direction in my life? Here's the question. Do you spend alone time with him? God has rarely spoken to me in the hustle and bustle of my life. And I, I highly doubt that he has spoken within the hustle and bustle of your life because he normally doesn't interrupt your Facebook time or Instagram time or your whatever it might be, your family time, or your friend time. God rarely does that. I was out yesterday taking a nature walk. And you know, when you're outside, you really don't think too much. Some people, I've seen some people like, I don't like to sweat. <laughs> I've seen some of your faces. <laughs> but if you like nature walks like, like I do when the weather, weather is cool, and you're walking out there, and you're kind of enjoying everything, and you're walking, and you're talking with your friends, but then there was an awkward silence, and I recall it pretty clearly yesterday. I was walking with my brother-in-law, and there was a strategic silence. And if you're out, when you're out in nature, when there's a strategic silence, nature is not quiet. If you just take a moment in the next day or two, and you go outside, listen for a moment, particularly if you're in a wooded area, all of a sudden, this loud buzzing, everything begins to get loud if you're just quiet just long enough. And that's how God is. When you get quiet long enough, his voice gets louder. He begins to speak in your heart louder. His voice begins to get more and more clear in your life as you get quiet, as you get alone with him. This is one of the greatest tools I could ever teach you is listening to the Lord. Why do you think the enemy tries to bombard us with our checklists? Why do you think you get bombarded in your mind when you're sitting before the Lord just for a moment and those 10 things and those 10 bills that you got to pay begin to, begin to bombard your mind? Why do you think that when you go to pray, you start thinking about all your friends that just posted something on Facebook that, that offended you? Or you think about all these different Instagram and Facebook wars that are going on between you and them. Why do you think each time that you go to spend alone time with him, you get under attack up here? Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to spend time alone with God. Because he doesn't want you to hear God's voice. I remember I was sitting in my study. As a matter of fact, I was wearing this watch. I was sitting and I was studying. I'd watched, I had the watch for a long time. And I'd been practicing just being in the quiet, like not even having my worship music on. I've been doing that lately. I have a mentor who's out of state. I've never met him face to face. He said, I want you, because you're around noise all the time, I want you to strategically spend time alone and in complete quietness. 
And I'm beginning to love it, believe it or not. It was scary at first. And all of a sudden, when I was, I was in my, my study, I began to hear a noise. And I, I got up. I literally got up. And I'm looking around the room. I'm looking. The, I'm like, something's, there's a noise in the room. All of a sudden, I got still for a second. I'm like, where is that noise coming from? It's not like a bomb. All of a sudden, tick, 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 tick. I put my ear up to my watch. All those years of having this watch, I was missing it. Not because it never ticked before. It's because I wasn't listening. It's not that God's not speaking or even trying to give you direction in your life. Here's the big question. Are you spending alone time with him? Are you giving him the time of day? Are you carving out time in your schedule for him to speak? Because can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, question while the Holy Spirit is likened as to a dove when the slightest thing scares the dove off. There are times in a service where I'm loud and I get, but once I get quiet, if I hear somebody clap or throw a paper airplane, the other day we had somebody throw a paper airplane and I, it's because when you're in a moment when you feel the Holy Spirit moving, you don't want to do anything to disturb him. There's moments when God wants to be praised. There's moments when he wants to be worshiped. There are moments when God will speak to you, but he rarely does it in the hustle and bustle of your life. You physically have to carve out time alone with him. Solitude. This is why Jesus got away to the mountains. This is why Jesus went to the ocean. That's why I like the ocean and mountains. It's because you get away and God begins to speak in solitude, even if it's five minutes. God will speak. God will work with that. Look at somebody and say, he'll work with that. When you think about Moses, God didn't begin to do things with Moses until he was alone on the backside of the desert. He spoke to him through a burning bush and said, Moses, this is holy ground. He spoke to Moses. Moses was alone. When he spoke to King David, David wasn't, didn't have everybody around him. He was hiding in the caves and God spoke to him. That's where he wrote most of the Psalms. He was alone. Look at somebody and say, get alone. He didn't speak to Jacob until he was alone. Then an angel of God gets sent to him and he wrestles with the angel until day breaks, but he wasn't with someone. He was alone. The apostle Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, he didn't write with all of his friends hanging out at the house playing video games. He spoke to, to, to the apostle Paul when he was alone in prison and he writes two thirds of the New Testament. God does his best work when you're alone. That's when he created, he did his best work with Adam when he formed Eve. I don't, see, I don't know if how many husbands and wives, but you can look at your husband and say, you know, God does his best work when you get quiet. God does his best work when we get quiet, when we get alone. Think about that. And God is able to get things more, more to you and communicate to you when you carve out time alone with him. Number three, Samuel got spoken to by the Lord because he was in right standing. He was in right standing. The old-fashioned word that I almost refrained from saying, it was because of his righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. That's a cuss word in the church these days, particularly contemporary churches. I tell you guys all the time, I'm okay with skinny jeans, but I will take righteousness over skinny jeans any day. Right standing with God, holiness, truth, righteousness. What do I mean by that? 
It doesn't mean whether your righteousness looks like clocking in on time or living a clean lifestyle. And we don't have to look for that strength in our own self. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives that produces righteousness. But right standing with God puts you in a position where you can hear God. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully? A person who lives in right standing with God can hear his voice. He's in right standing. He's in the right place. Look at somebody and say, get into the right place. And this is why the devil tempts us. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is why the devil tempts us to fall in certain areas in our lives. You think he was all out to get, him, to get Adam to simply disobey by eating an apple off of a fruit tree? No. He wanted to destroy Adam's ability to hear. He knew if he could get him to walk outside of right standing with God, he would hinder his ability to hear him. And then Adam would be left to his own demise and left to making his own decisions in life. We were never built for that. Why do you think it stresses us out so much? Because we were built to get instructed and carry out the instruction by our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be instructed by our greatest instructor. You are not left here to figure out who to marry on your own. You are not left here to figure out what your destiny is. You are not left here to, to, be, to fend for yourself. You were left here to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and walk out his perfect will for your life. And he will instruct you if you stand in righteousness with him. I wish somebody would say amen to that. So standing in the right place in righteousness will give you an advantage to hear the Lord's voice while at the same time walking in unrighteousness gets you at a severe disadvantage in life. And this is why we have to go to war on anything that would obstruct that. Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't even have to be an addiction. My wife the other day said, honey, you're on your phone too much. And do you know a lot of that stuff that I watch on my phone? No, none of it's bad. But it's a distraction. There's a lot of things that we are doing that are, are not necessarily bad, but are they edifying? There's a lot of things that we are accumulating on our plate, and then we complain about all the stuff we have to sift through. I'm at a place in my life where I want to simplify. Why? Because... Getting to know his voice now more than ever is the most important thing to me. We have to simplify. Look at somebody and say simplify. Simplify. And lastly, I'm done. I'm not done, but I'm done. You can stand to your feet. One of the reasons why Samuel got spoken to by the Lord, not just because of giving attention to him. It wasn't just because he was alone. It wasn't just because he was standing in righteousness. But Samuel was his friend. Did you know there's a difference between being a servant and a friend? Did you know there's a difference between being 
a child of God and a friend. God loves everybody, but he's not everybody's friend. I know that's heavy. That's real heavy. You know what I was studying recently? I was meditating on, meditating on it, really. I was thinking about David. He says, David was a man after my own heart. That's what God said. And then you have somebody like um, Moses. He had a different relationship with David and Moses. He loved both of them. But there was two different relationships happening. It was a different dynamic. How many have kids? Let me see your hand. Is your relationship the same with your kids? There's a difference. God loves everybody, and you love them both. One of them can be a heathen, and one of them gets straight A's in school. You love them the same, but you have a different relationship with them. And then we get to Abraham, and this is, this is one of the only ones that God called a friend. It's because he obeyed God. He was a friend. How many want to be his friend this morning? I don't know about you, but I want to get past the degree of knowing that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. You know, lately what I've been doing is when I'm spending time with him. So after years, you just spend time with the Lord. You just, you know, there's a change. There's a shift happening in your spirit. And, and, and I've been finding myself more and more wondering what's on his heart. You know how sometimes we get caught up like this is on my heart and we're just ready to pour out our hearts. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's a right thing. But there's a different level that you get to when you want to just know him. What's on your heart? And all of a sudden as I begin, begin to do that, that's why I'm interweaved in all of my sermons is about worldwide awakening, revival. Because Donnie Smith's old prayers used to be, Lord, I'd like this in the bank. I want this kind of car. I want this wife. I want my marriage to look like this. And now that I got all that stuff, it's not that I don't appreciate it. But I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, I want to know what's on your heart. I want to know you. And here's what he's saying. I want to move in such a way in the earth, but I need your prayers, Donnie. I need your prayers, Karen. I need your prayers, Sharon. I need your prayers, Hakeem, partner with me. And he begins to share, as you spend time with him, he begins to share his global desire and intent for the country in a small little obscure church. In our small little bubbles of our Christendom, the Lord will begin to share his heart with you. Do you want to be his servant? Do you want to be his child or do you want to be his friend? Jesus said this to his disciples probably nights before his death. He said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. For servants do not know what their master is doing. How many want to know what he's doing? How many want to hear his voice? I want to tell you a quick story and then I'll close. We're going to worship for a moment if that's okay. We're going to love on our friend. There's this little story from Ravi Zacharias that I was listening to this morning and it gripped me. In this story, it was about a young man whose dad owned um, a gallery, art gallery, 
And the boy's dad was very rich. He had a mansion. He had everything that a man or woman could desire. All the money in the world. Well, the young boy is intrigued by a beggar out by the road. And so the young boy, he often goes to the road and visits his beggar friend. We'll call the beggar John. He goes out and he visits him. And he's always telling this beggar John, the boy is telling this beggar John all about his father's art gallery, how how extravagant it is and all the beautiful paintings. All the while, John lives underneath the bridge and hardly has anything to eat. And John began to say, well, you know what? I know how to draw. And so John says to the little boy, will you bring me some paper and some, you know, artist pencils the next time you come? And so the little boy brings John the paper and the pencils for the art. And he draws a picture of the little boy. Beautiful picture. So the next time the little boy comes, he visits John. John gives him the the picture. The little boy continues to visit over the years. And then the little boy comes in one day to see John. And his father died. The little boy's father died. The boy continues to visit. Another year goes by. boy stops visiting doesn't show up one day to see John one week goes by two weeks four weeks all of a sudden John goes and he visits this art gallery place he's not allowed in he's tattered and dirty but then one of the guys recognize him through the little boy's conversations and he says does anybody know what happened with this little boy he said oh he died little boy died and the short of the story is is the security gentleman who told John that the little boy had died he said well there's an art gallery we're going to be auctioning off everything it's one of the requests that was left in the will of the father and so John runs finds a water hose and cleans himself up and finds the best outfit that he could possibly find, and he goes to the gallery. He has some change in his pocket, and as the the gentleman who starts the bidding takes the stage, he said, one of the father's requests is that this painting of his son is auctioned off first. John knew he didn't have a cold day, right? He knew he didn't have a chance. He didn't have the money to buy the painting. But to his surprise, nobody bidded on the painting. It was the picture of the little boy. And so John reaches his hand in his pocket, shaking, and pulls out a few coins. And he holds the coins up in the air, and he says, I have 75 cents. And they asked, are there any other bidders? Nobody answered. Sold to John and then everybody's frustrated can we get on with the real stuff now the real art 
in the bidding gentleman says there was only one other request that the father made in his will. And it was this, that whoever bought the little boy's painting gets the whole estate. You can imagine the gasp in the room. What's the point? You get this friend, you get everything. You get everything. Most people don't want to pay the price for him. They feel it's pointless. Certainly we can get our lives together in our own strength. We can make it without him. All the while, it's a small price to pay. But when you do, you get everything. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.